engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Yeah, yeah, we gotta go. We've we've gotta discuss the president and his tweets. But I, I would like to put them in proper context for you. And and there will be those who say this is all whataboutism. But I I I gotta say this. I do, and I need to spend time here. Let me let me do the news and analysis of it before I really get into what I think. Um, and but before I even do that, I want to remind you uh, that our own Scott Slade, who has been part of your morning every morning for decades in Atlanta. Uh, the host of Atlanta's Morning News is being nominated for induction in the National Radio Hall of Fame. And there's a chance for him. If he gets it, he'll be joining Clark Howard. He'll be joining Neil Bortz. His induction is in the spoken word category, and that depends on listener votes. So go to WSBRadio.com, if you will, and link to the voting site. It's it's there on WSBRadio.com. It's free. It's easy. Scott Slade certainly deserves this, um, but because it's the spoken word category, it depends on listener votes. So please go to WSPRadio.com and do that. Now, what did the president do on Sunday morning? The president tweeted about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar and two other members of Congress, the four of whom, by the way, will be having a press conference at 530 today to maximize, ring as much media spectacle out of this as possible. And the president said, basically, uh, go back to your country. The problem with the president going this route is that with the exception of Elon Omar, all of the rest of them are American citizens and their parents were American citizens. Uh, we're, we're talking about second generation Americans uh, at, at worst um, at, or multiple generation Americans in some cases. So it's, it is demeaning to immigrants for the president to look at these people. They're not white and say, go back, go back home. Um, and their home is the United States of America, with the exception of Ilhan Omar, who probably should not be in the United States, given her contempt for this country. The, the, there's a bigger problem here, though, on, on the political front, and that is the Democrats have been feuding with each other for a week. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling Nancy Pelosi a racist, the president defending Nancy Pelosi. You've had all of that, and now the president has entered the fray, and in entering the fray has allowed the Democrats to all get back on the same page, but also has allowed the media to go after Republicans and demand to know where they stand on the president's tweet, which they love to do, and the president made it very, very easy for them. Uh, Do not intervene when your opponents are beating themselves to a bloody pulp, and they were, and the president intervened, and now everybody's beating the Republicans to a bloody pulp because of his stupid tweet. The itchy tweeting fingers of this president cause him more trouble than any Democrat. He is his own worst enemy. But we need to put the rest of this in proper context as well. Because the media has spent the entire weekend now. uh, CNN, ABC News, Good Morning America, they're, they're all flat out saying racist tweets, racist tweets. They're demanding that every Republican say racist. If you say they're nativist, if you say they're xenophobic, if you say they're bad, uh, the media says racist. You have to say racist unless you say racist. It's like the media demanding you cry uncle. You, you have to say the word. If you don't say racist, 
You haven't condemned the president enough. It's very dogmatic, have you noticed? Very religious. Like, is Jesus wise or is he your Lord and Savior? Well, well, well Jesus is my friend. But is he your Lord and Savior? You must repent or die. I mean, this is this is what the media is doing here with with this. You 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 have to if you don't say racist specifically use that word, then somehow you're not condemning the president. You you are accepting, you are embracing, you are affirming him, unless you use that word. Y'all, I I got to tell you, I'm I'm checked out on this at this point. I'm tired of playing the game by the media where the president says something dumb, bad, racist, whatever. And we've all got to run and, and fold. Oh, oh, yes, it was terrible. We all condemn it. Did you know that an, an ICE facility, Immigration and Customs Enforcement facility in Washington state was firebombed over the weekend by Antifa? The Antifa member who launched the firebomb attack had a manifesto wherein he quoted Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and that these were concentration camps being run by the government. Have you heard that in the media yet? Have you heard it? Because it's there in the local media. It's all over the local media, but the national media, nope, they're, they're too busy talking about the president's tweet. I'm willing to bet, we spent three days on James Hodgkinson. When James Hodgkinson committed a mass assassination attempt on Republican members of Congress based on Republic, or left-wing rhetoric that Republicans were going to kill people, the media spent three days on that story. Never once critically analyzed left-wing rhetoric causing someone to attempt a mass assassination on Republican members of Congress, and then they moved on. I'm willing to bet we're going to spend a longer news cycle on the president's tweet than the media ever spent on James Hodgkinson attempting a mass assassination of Republican members of Congress. When Floyd Lee Corkins went into the Family Research Council during the Obama administration, fueled by a left-wing hatred of the Family Research Council as a, a Christ-a-bigoted-centric, whatever, fascist, Christo-fascist organization that wanted to put gays in a Holocaust or whatnot, that, that was the left-wing rhetoric against uh, Family Research Council, Floyd Lee Corkins bought a bunch of Chick-fil-A sandwiches, went over to the Family Research Council in Washington with a gun, and intended to go in and kill every single employee and stuff their faces with Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Haven't the media was moved on from that news cycle within 24 hours? So we've got two people based on left wing rhetoric attempted mass assassinations of conservatives. We have a man who firebombed an ICE facility based on the statements of a member of Congress, and the media is positively fixated that everyone must denounce a tweet by the president of the United States. The tweet was bad, it was unhelpful, it was wrong. But it didn't cause anybody to get assassinated, didn't cause anyone to get shot, didn't cause any ICE facility to burn down. At what point do we look at the media and say, you guys are obsessed about the president? You could say, but he's the president of the United States. Yes, except when have his tweets gotten people killed? There's a lot of left-wing rhetoric nearly getting people killed. And those of us on the right have been looking at this for a while and say, wait a second, Antifa is getting really violent over here. And we got people on TV saying, no, 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 no. It's a, just moral. It, 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 it is moral outrage. And that's different from the Nazis in the streets. Antifa is different. Is it really different? I mean, wh- why do I have to get on my high horse every day and say, orange man bad, because the media says I must, when the media turns a complete blind eye to everything on the left these days? The, it, it, do you, I hope you get the point I'm making here. There is no defense of what the president did. There's no reason to defend it. You don't have to defend everything. But there's no reason to also 
go out with your flag waving and say bad, 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 when you know the media is not going to do the same on the left anymore. Why bother? Why bother? There is no incentive. Let me, I, I want to just put all of this in proper context by playing you this montage of the media. I argue to you tonight, all punches are not equal morally. In the eyes of the law, yes. But in the eyes of good and evil, here's the argument. They are strictly principled anti-fascists. And what they see in the Trump administration and what they see happening in this country, they see, they see the neo-fascism that we see. And they've taken a principled stand to stand against white supremacists and white nationalists wherever they may show up. It says it right in the name, Antifa, anti-fascism, which is what they were there um, fighting. Listen, there's, you know, no organization is perfect. There was some violence. I think that a lot of people recognize that when pushed, self-defense <clears throat> is a legitimate response to white supremacist and neo-Nazi violence. The problem is to equate the violence in reaction against bigotry with the bigotry itself is to misunderstand the fact that when you go to cancer treatment, the radiation is tough treatment, but it is meant to remove the cancer. They wouldn't have been anywhere near there had it not been for the fact that white supremacists neo-Nazis were out scaring the living daylights out of most of the people in that town. Thuggishness is thuggishness wherever it comes from politically, and, and we should be the first to call it out. I disagree. There you go. That's the media justifying Antifa. For the last year, the media has justified Antifa. As those of us on the right have been pointing out, these people are getting more and more violent. More and more violent. Constantly violent. They're beating up journalists in the streets. And many of the same blue check mark people out there who are attacking the president for his tweets were defending Antifa for beating up the journalists. I am unaware of any of the president's tweets inspiring a mass assassination attempt. I am quite aware of multiple Democratic talking points about Republicans wanting to kill people by repealing Obamacare, causing mass assassination attempt of Republicans in Congress. I am very well aware of Democratic rhetoric against Christian groups causing a mass assassination attempt against uh, a Christian group in Washington, D.C. We shouldn't have to engage in the whataboutism here. What about this? What about that? You know what? The, what the left is doing is they are using whataboutism, the, this idea that when you, they say this, you say that, and they say, oh, what about, what about? No, no, we're focused on this. Well, they only want to focus on that. And if you only want to focus on that, they are willfully ignoring this growing violence on the left because they identify with it. And in large part, they think it's valid and legitimate. You heard it in the montage, the defense of it from Chris Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon on CNN and others. And now these people are firebombing ICE facilities, ripping down American flags, hoisting Mexican flags, and using Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's words to do it. And by the way, many of these same journalists justified her use of the word, of the phrase concentration camps. And yet they are focused, fixated on a tweet by the president that harmed no one. They want me to say it's bad. Yeah, he shouldn't have done it. He should have done it for a whole host of reasons. But they don't want to give any attention to the other stuff. And that is really the problem here. That is really how underhanded the media is right now in this conversation. They are so fixated on all the flaws with the president and all the problems with the president. They don't want to take the time to analyze the other side. And in the process, so many of us who are paying attention are now at the point of saying, you know what? 
I may not care for the guy, but I got to vote for him. Look at the other side. And the media completely is confounded by it. They don't understand why someone who doesn't care for the president would still vote for the president over the left because they relate so much to the left and can't see what's happening on the left. And they certainly don't want to report on it fairly or accurately. I have a confession to make. Um, we had a bunch of phone calls from people who wanted to defend the president, and I don't want to take them um, because you don't have to defend everything. And you can stop with your 12-dimensional, multifaceted chest. The president's 23 billion thousand steps ahead. He's a genius, and he's going to win re-election by tweeting stuff like this and forcing every Republican to take time out of their day to deal with reporters who want to denounce him. No, sometimes the president's just an idiot, and he can't help himself. Sometimes it really is that simple. Uh, am I voting for the guy? Yeah, absolutely. I'm voting for the guy. And, and what the left should be doing is they should be looking at this as a matter of self-reflection and saying, why are guys who are willing to go on radio and say, you know what, the president was wrong, he shouldn't have done this, still going to vote for the guy over us. Well, because the president, for all of his faults, doesn't want to destroy the country, doesn't want to rip children in half and sell them limb for limb through Planned Parenthood, doesn't want to have a bunch of socialists take over the country, doesn't want to destroy the economy, doesn't want to do a host of things that the left would otherwise do. So yeah, for all the president's faults, and there are numerous, and I'm happy to call them out, I'm not going to waste my time on it, but, but I just, th- this whole having everyone calling, you know what, the president was, yeah, was the president right to call these people out? Yes. Should the president call them out? Yes. Should the president call out Ilhan Omar? Yes. Should he call out Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Yes. Should he have done it the way he did it? No. You don't have to defend it all. You know, you don't have to defend it all, and you don't have to concoct some crazy scheme to convince yourself that he's 50 billion steps ahead playing multidimensional chess. Sometimes it is what it is and, and nothing more. Um, so, no, I, I, there's, there's no there's no reason to take the phone calls and they're just going to make me mad. I'm already in a bad mood today. Um, I've had to deal with this stuff all day long. Well, you know, I have specifically gone out of my way to not use the word racism with the president's tweet. And I want to tell you why. Not because I, I think they're not. I think the president shouldn't have done it. And I'm I'm willing to say the president shouldn't have done it, but I'm not going to get pigeonholed by the media using their talking points the way they insist that I do it because, you know, they're, they're never going to talk about Antifa that way. Does it sound petty? Does it sound childish? Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But I'm, I'm really, really getting tired of the moral tyranny of these progressive activists within the media, the blue checkmark crowd, demanding that I talk about something exactly the way they want me to talk about it. And if I don't, I'm somehow terrible, bad, what have you, when the media specifically refuses to talk talk about all of these other stories, downplays them, dismisses them, puts them on the, the last page of the newspaper, says, oh, but they were in the paper, we covered them. No, what about this tearing down the American flag at an ICE facility in Colorado? That's something we need to talk about when we come back, and the Democrats defending it. All right. Uh, I, look, I, I save your breath. Just there's no reason to call in and, and, and defend the tweets today. I'm just not in the mood for it. I, I'm really not. Um, threw away a, a, just a great opportunity to have the Democrats on defense. Um, but here's what I'll take your phone calls on. This ICE roundup 
nonsense by the Democrats. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. CNN put the Antifa firebomber, it appears, according to Fox News, which I find very delicious. The, the CNN is obsessed these days about what's on the Fox News website. Fox News website is running a story that CNN appeared to have given some uh, favorable coverage to the firebomber who tried to firebomb ICE. And at the same time, the media has really not done a whole lot to condemn ICE. Antifa activists for tearing down the American flag at an ICE facility in Colorado and, and raising the Mexican flag. You know, my buddy Chip Roy, who will be at the resurgent gathering, was in Colorado. He'd gone out for a baseball game with his family and wound up going to the ICE facility there where the Mexican flag was hoisted. And John Hickenlooper, the former governor of Colorado, well, listened to him when the media was asked about uh, what he thought of these Antifa activists hoisting the Mexican flag over the ICE facility. This was the demonstration on Friday at the ICE facility where they pulled down the American flag and then put up, it would appear as though to be an upside down spray painted American flag and then the Mexican flag over the ICE facility. It doesn't get much more progressive and radical than that. Is that something that as a moderate needs to be condemned? Well, I certainly respect the American flag and, you know, my whole life I've been fighting to make this country and, 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 and to make sure that this country welcomes everybody and it, that that flag represents everyone. And, I, you know, I, I'm old enough. I remember when people were burning the flag uh, in protest of the Vietnam War. The amazing thing about this country is we're really the one place on earth or one of the few places on earth where that level of freedom of speech is still protected, so I might not it, it, approve of it, but but I think that that freedom is something that we as Americans should recognize and, and say, hey, that's part of our core freedom. I, I appreciate walking the line, and as you point out, there there is the way to say, I defend your right to do it, but I find the behavior abhorrent. Are you willing to say that doing that and ripping down the American flag over a facility and running up the Mexican flag is wrong, doesn't send the right message, is not what is going to unite us, as you say is so important? I think there are better ways to unite us. There's no question about that. And, you know, you'll find all kinds of things that, and it's not a question of whether you're a progressive or a moderate. I, I feel like, you know, the progressive things that we've accomplished in Colorado are, are, are very, I'm an extreme moderate. They're very right. progressive. See, th this is what I'm talking about. He can't actually condemn it he, he can't bring himself to condemn what happened this it's just it's it's mind-numbing to me that we are it's very much like the montage i played earlier of antifa they can't bring themselves to condemn this y'all i listen i think the president's tweet was wrong he shouldn't have done it but we'll move on to another news cycle and it will be forgotten except by the most aggressive members of the media. And what will happen in the meantime? What will happen in the meantime is we're going to continue to have Democrats moving further and further to the left. We will have Democrats continuing to say things. So l listen to this is Ilhan Omar at the um, Nutroots Nation gathering in Philadelphia of online activists. Listen to this. Something that I, I get criticized for all the time. It's not what you think, so don't, like, <laughs> don't gasp. Um, it is that like, I, I am anti-American because I, I criticize the, the United States. And I, I, 
I believe, as an immigrant, I probably love this country more than anyone that is naturally born. And because I am ashamed of it continuing to live in its, the hypoc its hypocrisy, that I work so hard to make sure that others who've had um, that, like, why, just be American, why don't you be more like an American, can continue to say that. Why can't you be more like an American? Because it, it used to be a very positive thing. Um, we export American exceptionalism, the great America, the land of liberty and justice. That is, you know, if you ask anybody in uh, walking on the side of the street somewhere in the middle of the world, they will tell you America the great. But we don't live those values here. Um, and so that hypocrisy is one that I'm bothered by. I want America the great to be America the great. So... She wants America the Great to be America the Great, and yet she can't see it while she's here. Are, are we not great? Apparently, she bought into some propagandized version of America that she feels deeply disappointed by because she's she she doesn't see it. And yet, uh, a refugee immigrant into this country is elected to Congress, something to celebrate, something that affirms that American ideal of being great, and yet she doesn't see it, and she wants to condemn it. Um... We can't talk about that, though, because the president's tweet, you know, that's that's my singular frustration more than anything is how the media amplifies the things the president does to patently avoid having to discuss any of these sorts of statements. It is it's so frustrating. And here we have increasingly this radicalism from Democrats, except, you know, who is paying attention to this stuff? Voters. The voters have already made their calculation about the president, but there's new data to suggest they're starting to make calculations about the Democrats, and they may prefer the president despite himself. Listen, the voters are paying attention to this stuff, and they've already factored in the president. They, they've had multiple years now to factor in the president, and what they're starting to see is that though the president may not be the guy they care for the president may not be the guy that they think should really be leading the nation they may not be the guy they wish would lead the nation they're actually more comfortable with him in that position than they would be the democrats because of their stated ideology joe biden continues to do well against the president of the united states in his polling but fewer and fewer of the democrats out there do and there's new polling out from a democratic firm about what the voters in swing districts are looking at and increasingly it appears that the voters in swing districts are looking at people like alexandria ocasio-cortez and the rest and they're starting to get alarmed by what they're seeing with this increasing radicalism on the left. The, the polling is striking how voters in swing districts are allowing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to define the Democrats as the Democrats are allowing her, and the voters are more and more deciding, you know what, this isn't what we want. This is a Democratic polling firm that did this polling of Democrats. It was leaked to Axios as kind of a, a, a warning sign to Democrats that you've got a problem. Let me give you some of the findings here. 
AOC was recognized by 74% of voters in the poll and only 22% of them had a favorable view of her. Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, recognized by 53% of the voters, only 9% had a favorable view of her. Socialism was viewed favorably by 18% of the voters, unfavorably by 69%. Capitalism had a 56% favorable rating, 32% unfavorable. Socialism is toxic to these voters, according to the top Democrat who did the polling. Between the lines, Democrats are performing better with these voters than in 2016, though not as well as 2018. Party leaders have to continue to try to define themselves around more mainstream candidates. Three members of this so-called squad, which is ridiculous, um, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, and Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts defended their approach while appearing in Philadelphia on a panel at, at Nutroots Nation, and all they're defending is their radicalism. It is striking to me that the Democrats are having to leak polls to the press to get the attention of the Democratic leaders. That's what's happening here. A Democratic polling firm, highly respected polling firm, I'm pretty sure I know which firm it is, leaked this to Axios to get the attention of party leaders who were otherwise ignoring that they have this problem. The Democrats are so fixated on 2020, their motto being orange man bad, that they can't actually comprehend that, you know what, voters would rather stick with him than go with their radicalism. And the polling is starting to show that for the Democrats. But wait, there's even more data now from the New York Times on this exact point from the New York Times. Oh, let's talk to Robert in Covington. Robert, how are you? Eric, how are you today? Good, how are you? Doing just fine. Uh, you know, we on the, on the conservative side of the political ball, uh, you hear us all the time talk about the left moving further to the left, further to the left, further mm-hmm. to the left. Uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. How much further to the left can the left go oh it it still has a ways to go with the remember now what we have here i i i hate to get into glenn beck mode and start talking about overton windows uh but you know the the overton window is the argument that when you start talking about something you're trying to move the window of of what is rational and mainstream thought in your direction uh, so you had a bunch of Democrats who for years were talking about universal health care and socialism, and it was outside the Overton window, but they kept talking and talking and talking, seeing the conversation move um, further in their direction. And they've still got a ways to go with communism and everything else. Uh, you, you know, uh, AOC saying that she's a socialist, not a communist, in response to Lindsey Graham and the president, when she sounds like a communist to me. Um But they still have a ways to go. They can go very far to the left. When we come back, it is having an impact with the voters. There is actually some new data from the New York Times. The media would much prefer you pay attention to the NBC poll that wasn't good for the president and ignore the actual voter data in swing districts and within the Electoral College. Running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 
Hello, good evening, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. We got to move on from the president's tweet. Uh, The reason we need to move on from the president's tweet is because the media would, one, prefer we never move on from it, but two, because there actually is some very interesting news out there. And to get to that news, I think the way to frame it is to go with Amy Klobuchar, the senator who is running for president, who is beginning to distinguish herself from, for example, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Let me play you what she said on a key policy issue among the Democrats. Elizabeth Warren this week came out with a proposal uh, following on what Julian Castro said in the, in, in the, in the debate uh, to decriminalize unauthorized border crossings. <clears throat> you said you were going to look at that in the debate. Have you? Do, do you support that idea? I support different enforcement priorities. And of course, I'll look at this statute <clears throat> to see if you can make changes depending on the level of a security risk. But no, I don't support open borders and simply getting rid of this statue. Yeah, that she doesn't support open borders. She doesn't support getting rid of the statute. That is now Elizabeth Warren's key platform on immigration. At the same time, you have Democrats demanding that Joe Biden denounce the deportations that occurred during Barack Obama's time. Oh, that reminds me. Oh, I'm so glad I, I, this. Pro- so CNN is running an analysis of the deportations done by Barack Obama versus Donald Trump. It is a it just I love the analysis. It, it actually amounts to Barack Obama deported more people than Donald Trump, but orange man bad. And I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not really. The entire analysis is that, yes, Barack Obama deported many more people uh, year by year than Donald Trump is deporting. But Barack Obama's heart was in the right place. And Donald Trump says it. That, that is the analysis at CNN over what's happening. This is crazy. It is crazy. And now Democrats are demanding that Joe Biden renounce the deportations by the Obama administration. Someone shoved a microphone in his face to ask him what he was going to do. Will you apologize for the three million deportations under the Obama administration? No. What I will. Three million deportations under the Obama administration. Apologize now. Question. You want me to answer your question? Oh yeah. No, you don't really. But the fact of the matter is, it's a deportation for a serious felony is a deportation. Deportation for a misdemeanor should not be deported. Under my administration, there'll be no family separation. <laughs> so you have the Democrats now demanding that Joe Biden denounce the deportations of the Trump of the Obama administration that he was complicit in and and he says no and, and they're shouting him down this is starting to turn off voters and the data is showing it and it's not just internal democratic polling showing it it's also the New York Times this whole thing is crazy so the New York Times analyzing the data Democrats have been telling you something uh, that I have actually said on air looking at the data, but the New York Times, Nate Cohen has gone back through and analyzed the data that, you know, the Democrats were able to pick up Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan 
in 2018 states that Donald Trump had won in 2016. They did so in 2018 with a huge wave of voters on orders of levels not seen outside of presidential campaigns. And the president does have his challenges. But it turns out that the single biggest pool of people who did not turn up to vote were Trump voters. Yeah. So, for example, in Wisconsin, the Democrats won the state by about a half a percentage point to take the governor's race against Scott Walker. And it was Donald Trump's voters who hadn't shown up. They didn't turn out for Scott Walker. Very much like Barack Obama's voters turned out for Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012, but did not turn out for congressional Democrats in 2010 and 2014. The same phenomenon is helping with Donald Trump. Donald Trump's voters did not turn out in 2018 for the Republicans. They turned up for Donald Trump. They did not turn up for the Republicans. And that is actually something that's going to impact 2020. And now the New York Times is starting to fret about it. And it's not just the New York Times starting to fret about it. It is, it's, it's fairly frightening to a bunch of Democrats who have had it in their heads since 2018. Oh, all we got to do is, is keep our voters fired up and they're going to turn back out in 2020 and we'll be able to, we'll be able to win Georgia. That's what the Democrats have been thinking. Well, the data shows that's not true. And, you know, we can think about that in Georgia. So there's a report out today. Lucy McBath, a congresswoman in the 6th Congressional District who beat Karen Handel, she has cash on hand, $930,000. All of the Republicans are down. Karen Handel, I think, has the most, and she's about $300,000, I think. Um, So significant money for McBath. This is a district that's going to be highly fought over, except there's a problem for McBath. It turns out that even down into her district, one of the things that happened is not just this turnoff. The, the media has been telling us about the turnoff of suburban voters from Republicans. A lot of suburban voters now have become Democrats. But also a lot of voters just didn't turn out in 2018. And there's a larger issue here that I've been beating into you for a year now. Republican ground game operations in 2018 sucked. It wasn't good. They weren't good. And the problem, of course, obviously, is that if they weren't good in 2018, the Republicans weren't going to turn up. Well, 2020 is going to be good because the president's on the ballot. So people who may not just show up for your run-of-the-mill Republican congressman will show up for Donald Trump because he's their guy. So Republicans have this built-in turnout operation just by having the president on the ballot. And then on top of that, they'll be able to focus their turnout on getting people to go vote for Republican members of Congress. Now, how will it turn up? Well, if the president keeps doing what he's doing, like with, with tweeting, as he's done, then I think it winds up hurting the president because the president still does need to get some more people. Listen, the president could potentially win with the Electoral College and be the first person in American history to win twice losing the popular vote while winning the Electoral College. And you and I would probably be fine with that because California is so overwhelmingly skews everything population-wise and New York as well. I'm okay with that. The The rules are designed for the Electoral College. But at the same time, we also have to remember there were 70,000 votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania where the president does need to compete. And he does need to make sure that it's close. And, and so th- this is part of the problem that the, the president's team has to deal with. 
they should in theory be able to navigate through states like Georgia and even Texas where polling has been showing that some people have qualms about the president. But the president needs to stabilize enough so that he's not having to spend resources in those states. The president should not have to spend a ton of resources to keep Georgia. Georgia is a Republican state. And when you go back through in 2018 and you look at the metrics, what you find is that the Democrats had high turnout and the Republicans did not. If the Republicans turn out at a presidential rate in Georgia, the Democrats may actually lose seats again in the state legislature. Yeah, you heard me right. The Democrats may actually lose seats. The, the, the narrative is that Democrats want to gain seats in 2020 in the Georgia legislature. Now, the Ralston situation may help them with that, but the Republicans in 2018 did not turn out at presidential level. Democrats did. Guess what 2020 is? It's a presidential election. So guess what's going to happen? Republicans will probably turn up at a presidential election rate, which means it should take Georgia off the table for the Democrats and keep it for the president. That should happen so that the president can spend his money in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, and Iowa, and not have to spend his money in Georgia. But the more the president does what he does, he is his own worst enemy. He, he, he throws the narrative to the Democrats all the time. There's going to be a press conference at 530 this evening, those four idiots in Congress. And I'm sure that the media will spend another week on this. They will spend more on this than when there was a mass assassination attempt against Republican members of Congress. They, they absolutely will. You know it. I know it. We all know it. It's going to be interesting to see how the president responds, though. Here, here's the thing, though. I have this working theory. Every time the president overplays his hand and does something he shouldn't do, we can reliably depend on the Democrats doing the same with gusto and reshifting the narrative back to the center. And if the president just is careful, well, then the Democrats are going to have problems yet again. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. I emailed this out to you guys over the weekend, uh, but it is, it's so worth listening to this clip of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez having circles run around her uh, by a, uh, the director of Immer former director of Immigration and Customs Service. Uh, we don't have time to play the full clip. When we come back, I've got to play the clip for you. I absolutely have to play it. It is incredible what happened. Also, here's something I did not know. Uh, Joe Lieberman's son lives in Georgia. You know, Joe Lieberman, Al Gore's running mate from 2000, almost became um, uh, John McCain's running mate. John McCain desperately wanted him in 20, uh, 2008, but was convinced he had to have Sarah Palin to bring Republicans out. Well, Joe Lieberman's son lives in Georgia, wants to run for the Senate against David Perdue. I kid you not. What is it about all of these people who go to Congress and their kids or their spouses or whoever in the family decides, hey, it's my seat now, or, or I want to be there too. Yeah, we're not an inherited country. When we come back, this incredible clip, and also what the Georgia GOP needs to be worried about. Phone number here, 404-872-0750-1800-WSB-TALK. I, as, as I predicted an hour ago, 
the Democrats would inevitably overplay their hand. And yes, it appears they did. I can't play you their press conference because there was so much profanity in their press conference. Geniuses. Yes. Um, why is everybody so bad at politics these days? Well, why, why are people so bad at politics these days? Some of this stuff is so obvious. And I guess we're, we're all fixated on this rules don't apply bit, and yet the rules do apply. The rules have always applied. You know where the rules also apply? The, the rules apply to Republicans in Georgia. I think Republicans in the House and the Senate need to get a little bit strategic. Because you got people like Houston Gaines, for example, uh, over in Athens. Great guy, nice guy in the House of Representatives. Uh, one of the seats being targeted by the Democrats. He, he hasn't spoken up on the speaker. Uh, he probably needs to do so. Ed Sessler, you know, is very interesting. Um, I'm wondering if he cut a deal with the speaker. Uh, some of his colleagues think that he cut a deal with the speaker, that he would be able, that he was desperate to pass fetal heartbeat, that he cut a deal with the speaker, that the speaker would get it through if he didn't come out and speak up against the speaker. A lot of his colleagues seem to be under this impression that he cut a deal with the speaker um, to get fetal heartbeat, that it was more important to him than getting rid of the speaker, which is which is fine. Valid choice, I guess. Um, but you got these Houston, Houston Gaines and, and others out there who haven't spoken up on the speaker. And I'm starting to think that there is a strategy they need to deploy. Because here's the thing. You also have senators. Um, what, John Albers, I think, is one. P.K. Martin is one. Uh, you've, you've got other senators out there who are in very tight races that are going to be targeted by Democrats, and they're going to be attacked on this David Ralston scandal. And so here's what I'm suggesting to them. They, people need to be smart about how they handle this. All you need are 16 Republicans, just 16 Republicans in the House. You already got 10. You need six more to come up and say, we're not going to cooperate with the conference until the speaker's gone. He will have to rely on the Democrats to pass his agenda. Now, think about that for a minute. I mean, the speaker is already signaling no conservative legislation is going to get passed this coming year in the state legislature um, because he thinks it'll hurt them. Well, what you need to do is you need to make the Democrats own the speaker scandal. And there's a really easy way to make the Democrats own the speaker scandal. Because, you know, right now, Bob Trammell and the Democrats are saying, no, of course we're not going to make us talk anything about the speaker scandal. No, we're not going to do that. So you put the ball in their court. You say, you know what? Y'all aren't going to talk about the speaker. You know, you say it's no big deal. So we're done with him. Us 16, we're, we're not going to support anything. We're not going to do anything. We're even going to hijack the governor's agenda. We're going to block everything out of the governor's office until the speaker's dealt with. And that makes the Democrats then have to support the speaker's agenda. It makes the speaker have to work with the Democrats. And that neutralizes the issue in 2020. If the Democrats are the ones keeping the speaker in power now, because these 16 Republicans say we want nothing to do with him, then the Democrats can't turn around and use it on the Republicans because these these 16 Republicans say, whoa, 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 wait a second. It's not us. We wanted to get rid of him, but the Democrats are propping him up. And then it becomes an issue. And frankly, it then becomes an issue where the governor and the lieutenant governor have to get involved. 
it becomes an issue where Senate Republicans who are worried about their reelection, they've got to speak up and say the speaker's got to go. But time's a wasting. They need to get something done. Let's see. Jim and Decatur, welcome to the program, Jim. Well, thank you. Tell me, is the president's is the president trying to keep the squad of four of Ocasio-Cortez, Tlaib, and all as as front and center, the face of the Democratic Party, albeit with some very clumsy um, tweets this weekend? Oh, I, I absolutely think that this is part of the president's agenda is he knows the polling is out there showing that they are increasingly the face of the party. And that's why he wants them. In fact, he hinted as much. Listen to the president. I can assure you that we received Lindsey Graham said encouraged you to aim higher and doesn't trouble you. No, 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 he didn't say about that. He just said, don't go. See, I disagree with Lindsey. These are congressmen. What am I supposed to do? Just wait for senators? No. These are four. So I disagree with Lindsey on that. That was the only thing. He said, aim higher. Shoot higher. What am I going to do? Wait till we get somebody else in a higher position, higher office. These are people that hate our country. Uh, can I just say he misunderstood what Lindsey Graham meant? John, they hate our country. They hate it, I think, with a passion. Now, it's possible I'm wrong. The voter will decide. But when I hear the way they talk about our country, when I hear the anti-Semitic language they use, when I hear the hatred they have for Israel, and the love they have for enemies like Al-Qaeda, then you know what? I will tell you that uh, I, do, I do not believe this is good for the Democrat Party. Certainly it's not the party that I've known over the years. Yeah, he, so he wants to keep it front and center. I got to take a quick time out because when we come back, I got to play this AOC audio. It is priceless. You have got to hear this. She is so befuddled by encountering competence in office. All right, y'all, we got to play this audio. This is this is fantastic. Uh, this is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on Friday in the hearing in the House of Representatives uh, talking to the former head of ICE who authored the zero tolerance policy recommendation to Secretary of Homeland Security Kristen Nielsen at the time. It says the official recommendation. There were three different options presented. The third included the option for family separation. This initiative would pursue prosecution of all amenable adults, including those presenting with a family unit. Mr. Holman, your name is on this, is this correct? Yes, I signed that memo. So you are the author of the family separation policy? I am not the author of this memo. You're not the author, but you signed the memo? Yes, a zero zero tolerance memo. So you provided the official recommendation to Secretary Nielsen on family, for the United States to pursue family separation. I gave Secretary Nielsen numerous recommendations on how to secure the border and save lives. But it says here that you, re- you gave her numerous options, but the recommendation was option three, family but, separation. What I'm saying, this is not the only paper where we've given the Secretary numerous options to secure the border and save lives. And so the recommendation of the many that you recommended, you recommended family separation. I recommended zero tolerance. Which includes family separation. The same as is whenever a U.S. citizen parent gets arrested with a child. 
zero tolerance was interpreted as the policy that separated children from their If parents. I get arrested for DUI and I have a young child in a car, I'm going to be separated. When I was a police officer in New York and I arrested a father for domestic violence, I separated that Mr. father from Holman, his family. Mr. Holman, with all due respect, legal asylees are not charged with any crime. When you're in the country illegally, it's violation 8 United States Code 1325. Seeking asylum is legal. If you want to seek asylum, you go through the port of entry, do it the legal way. The Attorney General of the United States has made that clear. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's the point here. You can seek asylum legally in this country, but you have to go through a point of entry, except they changed the rule today. We'll have to spend time on this tomorrow. Used to be you could come here. Well, as of today, the White House is saying, no, no, you are going to have to go to Mexico to do it. We'll break this down tomorrow as the fallout continues from the weekend.